Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. Now, Alan's not going to be with us this week. He's currently vacationing, doing things that uh, the white people do. He's out skiing, so hopefully he doesn't come back and report that he's broken a limb, which is... Uh, growing up in Michigan, I was pretty sure that that's what people went skiing for, was to pick up a cast. Um, but we will be seeing him likely next week, so everybody wish him well. He's taking a much-deserved break and hiding up in the mountains, as we all want to do. Now, it's been kind of a crazy week. Uh, I did some traveling this week, so I haven't been completely injected into the news cycle But I still, you know, I've I've still been watching it and monitoring it. For anybody who follows us on social media, you've still seen news stuff getting posted and everything. It's always myself and other people are always making sure that we're putting stuff out and kind of seeing what's going on. But it's interesting to travel because it gave me, um, I guess for lack of a better term, sort of a, a really interesting perspective, right? So... Um, I was in Ohio this week, and uh, Ohio, much like a lot of the other places that I've been in this country recently, um, kind of doesn't care about masks outside of anything that isn't just some federal setup. And by that, I mean the only place where you're required to wear a mask is in an airport, which is also the same place where you're required to take your shoes off, your belt off, put everything into a bin, Because it's the federal government, and the federal government does ridiculous things all the time, and they like to just basically force people into what they need to do because of fear. Uh, For those of you who've listened to this program long enough, you'll all understand that I have a deep hatred for things like the TSA, uh, because I think it was the dumbest instantiation uh, that came out of the global war on terror, primarily the idea that regular Americans who obviously uh, are not connected to terrorism, have no way of really being connected to terrorism, are being uh, looked into, investigated, pulled off to the side. You know, there was the grandmas with knitting needles, all of those stories that we remember. And it was all because the federal government didn't want to look racist by, you know, profiling legitimate people where you would take a look at it and say, okay, this person has a high probability of being involved in terrorism. They didn't want to do that, right? So every American in the country had to be wildly inconvenienced because a small percentage of people uh, might commit an act of terror, which, alarmingly, I would say, look at COVID. You can't actually dismiss the different situations uh, that we look at when it comes to coronavirus and then when it comes to the global war on terror. It's a lot like the same playbook was used. People are afraid that something might happen. Uh, They use that fear to then convince a bunch of Americans that they need to give up their rights. Regardless of how illogical the solution that the government comes up with, people emotionally invest themselves in defending um, that lack of logic and they use their emotions to try to back it up because they're scared. And ultimately it comes down to, well, do you want the terrorists to win? Do you want grandma to die? And this is how the government defends itself from criticism. It never has to directly defend itself from criticism. It merely gets a few hyper-emotional people to go out and do that defense for it. It scares the crap out of people who are susceptible to that kind of fear. 
and they get them to go fight the battle for them. How dare you question X, Y, or Z? Do you want the bad thing to happen? Oh my God. And we're seeing this throughout the country, if not throughout the world. Now, I'll start in my own backyard before we you know, zoom out to other places. But for those of you who have been paying attention to the news, um, there are huge protests that are occurring uh, in places like Canada, where truckers have finally had it and they've decided to start doing trucking convoys, which we've heard of before, right? You guys remember hearing about like truck parades? And so this is obviously something that triggers the left in an incredible way. They literally can't handle it because remember truck parades, that was a Trump thing. Oh man, they were super mad about it. You remember that news story back where they tried to claim that a bunch of uh, a bunch of truckers tried to uh, push a uh, Joe Biden campaign bus off the road because they were violent extremists. Remember that was when they started baselining this idea uh, that Trump supporters were trying to perform a coup and they were really the violent ones while we watched liberals um, burn down buildings and regularly assault people, continue to do so today. Uh, but that was the, really the beginning of trying to instantiate this idea of uh, anybody that disagrees with the uh, narrative, with the with the establishment, was a violent extremist. That, those were the Trump truck parades. Uh, where people would drive around in their trucks with flags and things like that. Very entertaining stuff. Now we're seeing it in Canada where truckers, like actual truckers, people who haul freight, uh, are, have finally had it with the Canadian government and all of their different uh, restrictions and things like that that they're doing due to COVID, still doing due to COVID. A lot of people, I mean, people have been waking up for a while. And a lot more people are waking up. And, and what this is causing is the... Establishment really doesn't know how to react. They have no idea how to handle uh, people not doing what they're told. It's like the single thing that just infuriates the hell out of them. And so, of course, uh, I haven't read it super deep or done a bunch of research into it because I'm just I'm entertained by it. But there's really no need to get more information than uh, truckers are lining up all over in different cities within Canada. A lot of them are focused on Ottawa, um, you know, which is the capital there. And, and so what they're doing is they're doing these massive convoys. Uh, they're constantly uh, blowing their horn out there, causing a bunch of noise. And it's basically, we're going to inconvenience you in the elite, you know, in District 1, you know, however you guys want to phrase it. We're going to inconvenience you like you have for the last two years of our lives. And what the left in Canada are doing, of course, they're all extremists. Oh, geez, we went through their... Uh, you know, their social media and here's the hate speech, you know, because uh, truckers, you know, truckers never say things that are brash or coarse or <laughs> anything like that. You know, when you think of truckers, I mean, you know, when, when I look at society, it's it's like a priest or pastor. And then just below that, it's the trucker. Right. That that's who I look for um, for. You know, people who are going to say things uh, that, that aren't brash, you know, that that's uh, truly uh, these are the people that we're supposed to look for in uh, how to talk in regular society. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not ridiculing truckers by any measure. It's just so dumb. Because that was one of the articles that I saw last night when I was reviewing some of this was, you know, before you get excited about these truck protests, you know, let's take a look at some of the hateful things that have been said by people that are leading these convoys. 
If you guys ever talk to truckers, first of all, hilarious people. Absolutely hilarious people. Also, trucking just in general is kind of fascinating. Like the amount uh, that goes into it, the logistics of it, just, you know, freight and cargo transportation is actually really incredible because so much of it is behind the scenes that we just truly, we just don't think about, right? Um, but there has been a focus on this, you know, supply chain issues and, and things of the like. You know, we've started to kind of get an idea of how important you know, these types of uh, industries truly are and how much of an effect they have on our daily lives. But what's amazing to me is you take, like, the idea that the left, I guess for lack of a better term, has taken this concept that it's like, well, look at how mean truckers are. And, like, people in the world aren't going to sit there and go, like, yeah, dude, we know. Like they're there. It's literally one of the most rough and tumble, as they say, one of the most rough and tumble uh, organizations and industries you can get into. I mean, they're 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 fairly uh, aggressive out there. You know, this is like that salt of the earth. You know, it, it's kind of the same thing as like farmhands. Right. You know, oh, I can't believe all of the mean things that were said on this construction crew or these farmhands or, <laughs> you know, and. Nothing against any of those industries. It's just that this isn't shocking to anybody. But they're they're not woke. Um, they're not elite. They, you know, it's this isn't Silicon Valley. This isn't some tech hub with a CEO that they can get to just sign on to a bunch of woke nonsense and basically threaten everybody's job. These are guys that haul freight. And additionally to that, this is also, you know. I know that this is in Canada, but I'll relate it back to the United States just sort of for a reference point. These are the types of people that these elite politicians can't stand. These are the people that live in flyover country. These are the people that, you know, eyes are rolled when uh, political parties realize that they have to pander or whatever they're thinking to groups like this. Uh, because they can't stand them. They consider them uneducated. They consider them, you know, the plebeian filth. And they don't want to have anything to do with them. And so begrudgingly, they try to court them. And now look at what's occurring. And I find this particularly more interesting now because <clears throat> somebody growing up in Michigan, industries like trucking were synonymous with labor unions. And labor unions are synonymous with democratic policies, liberal policies, globalism. And, and so when we take a look at situations like this, you're seeing a very fundamental schism that has not before been seen. And I think that that takes, you know, that is, that's something that needs to be taken into consideration how big of a change this is. It, it not only obviously shows that there are the ability of these people to go out and to do something and, and really coalesce um, a lot of regular people, whether they're Canadians or Americans, there's even some of this happening in Europe, but to coalesce these groups of people together and, and get them all out there to you know wave flags and protest and, and support. And it's it's that visual sense that, you know, you're on the wrong side of things, elite politicians. But additionally, it also shows that there's so much less control by the union elite 
than what was thought of before. Now, I know I initially said that I was going to start in my own backyard, and then I did literally the opposite. But similar to that, what we're seeing here in Virginia is, you know, Glenn Youngkin became governor uh, just a few weeks ago, and he signed an executive order that said that he was no longer going to mandate masks in schools. And the, you know, concept of this was that it was the governor who mandated masks, and he said, I'm not going to do it, and we're going to get rid of this uh, Department of Health order that was requiring mask mandates. Uh, and now it's it's choice. And by the way, I can't harp on that enough. I can't harp on it enough that if you still want little Billy to wear his face diaper, uh, he still can. But you see, this this still causes rage on the left. And it is political. I don't think I need to over-explain that to this audience because you're all intelligent and live real lives and don't get every aspect of your life fed to you through Netflix. I think you all understand that this infuriates the left because everyone must comply. The lack of compliance is what makes them so angry. Because teachers are acting like it's, oh my God, it's so unsafe if Billy isn't wearing his mask. Which makes no sense. It makes no sense. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm done having the debate on what the purpose of the mask is. Because, you know, there, there's there's all the twisted logic of it doesn't protect you, it protects other people. Except then we also find out that COVID's not really airborne, it doesn't really survive on surfaces, blah, blah, blah. I, I say this because I'm I'm over their mental gymnastics to try to prove to us that we basically just need to comply. That's all it is. The mask is a symbol of compliance. It's a MAGA hat for the left. It's Which, I'm not saying the MAGA hat was a symbol of compliance. But to them, it is a virtue signal that I am part of the elite. I am part of the nobility. Look at how smart I am. I listen to NPR. What have you. But that's exactly it. They're inferior. They can still do it. They can still wear their damn masks. They can dress up in their full hazmat suit. They can wear their hilarious dumbass windshield that you see people wearing. They can do all of it. They can spray all of their food with hand sanitizer and they can drink bleach, um, which, you know, I, I make that as a joke. Uh, I make that as a joke because of the, the lie that people generated saying that, you know, Trump said people should inject bleach. But let's be honest, you guys have seen this. You have seen videos on social media, things like TikTok and on Twitter and, and all over, where there are people like that get served coffee. You know, they pick up like a coffee at Starbucks and they're at the drive through window and the person sets their, their cup down and then that the person sprays it with sanitizer. Like that's that's not a thing that's happening on the right. Those are those crazy leftists that are listening to things like NPR and MSNBC and CNN that are super scared of the newest Decepticon Omnicorp virus or, you know, what the hell ever. And so you, you look at these things and they can, they can still do all of it. They can do every single bit of it, but that's not the point. They need you to do it. You have to do it because then you are giving them the power. And that's what people mean when they say that this is all about power. But the point is, is Glenn Youngkin came in and he said, you know, we're not doing this anymore. It's going to be a choice. You know, parents can 
choose whether or not their kids wear a mask. And this caused uh, a bunch of screeching and the vomiting of blood and rending of the clothing and gnashing of the teeth. Uh, because, uh, my God, we we have to force little Billy to wear it. So every school uh, board decided, and they all got the same memo, which is the other the other part of this, right? You know, this isn't political, except political parties are heavily involved in sending out talking points uh, and memorandums that are specifically being hawked by people that are very obviously Democrats. And, and what it is, is the talking point is, well, you know, we we have um, the legislature put out this order uh, or put out this law, which, by the way, doesn't mandate masks, but it says follow CDC guidance, which also doesn't mandate masks. Um, but they're saying we took an oath to uphold the law. That's the literally that's what all of these school boards are saying. So, you know, the teachers unions uh, push that along now it doesn't stand up to any sort of scrutiny and anybody who wants to push back on that um, can very easily point it out and say, yeah, it doesn't say anything about mask mandates. Uh, None of this is true. Uh, There's no law that says that we have to force people to wear masks. Just none of none of that fits. It's what you're saying is untrue, but it doesn't matter uh, because now we're seeing all of these people push back. That's truly what's infuriating people. That's truly what's upsetting people is the idea that people are pushing back. They can't stand it. And, uh, you know, as we're getting a comment here from Old Goat, is it 100% is they want sheeple. And if you're not being sheeple, then, you know, what, what good are you? But there were also, you know, some hearings that happened this week uh, that are extremely, uh, extremely interesting uh, because it talks about um, there, there were a lot of things that were pointed out in how they forced the hand of there being any actual discussion, um, there being any actual discussion whatsoever in, for doctors. You know, we pointed this out yesterday, like or not yesterday, last week for nearing the end of the program about, you know, the question being like, why aren't doctors standing up against this? How come you're not hearing doctors push back? Well, um, Dr. Aaron uh, Harity talks about why uh, doctors are hesitant to write any sort of medical exemptions. Um, And he he makes some very fascinating points. And this is exactly how a bureaucracy will do this and then say, well, no doctors are pushing back. So listen to this testimony. Went out to all physicians from the medical board saying, any physician in California who writes an inappropriate exemption for masks or other COVID-related measures will have his medical license subjected to investigation and disciplinary action. So for a physician, just to help you to understand, this kind of uh, threat hanging over your head is worse than the threat of getting fired. If I get fired from a particular healthcare organization, I can go to another health organization or go start a private practice. If I lose my medical license, I cannot practice medicine. Okay? That's how serious this is. The letter never defined what might constitute an appropriate or inappropriate mask mandate. So I have no idea if I write a mandate for a kid with a severe anxiety disorder that's worsened by the wearing of a mask. Is that, is that going to subject my medical license to disciplinary action? Uh, 
Physicians in California interpreted the phrase and other COVID-related measures to include vaccines, which had already been uh, rolled out at that point. It has become de facto impossible to get a medical exemption for a COVID vaccine in the state of California. No physician will write them, even when you have someone that has a contraindication listed on the CDC's list of contraindications to COVID vaccines. I have a patient, went to, uh, went to her rheumatologist, specialist in her uh, autoimmune condition. This specialist told this patient, I don't think you should get the COVID vaccines given your age, your low risk of COVID, and I think there's a good chance that these vaccines, based on the data that we have, could worsen your underlying medical condition. She turned to the same physician immediately afterwards and said, can you write me, therefore, a medical exemption? Uh, because I need one for work. There's a vaccine mandate at work. Same physician that just told her not to take the vaccine or recommended against it said, no, I'm sorry, I can't write you a medical exemption because I'm afraid I might lose my license. Are you telling me that patients who have known life-threatening contraindications That's to right. receive a COVID-19 vaccine indeed That's are right. not being given exemptions? So so there you have it. And there are stories like this all over. What's amazing is to see how many people are rushing out. Anti-vax you know, talking points. You know, people who aren't doctors, right? And we're supposed to, that's supposed to be the big thing is, you know, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? Well, that guy is a doctor. He is a doctor. So explain to me. He's a doctor. A bunch of not doctors, you know, um, are very upset that he talked. Uh because it's going up against their narrative and it's shaking the foundations of things that they have built basically their fundamental um, structures on. And it's I, it's severely notable and it's very shocking. And now the, the most shocking part of it, honestly, is that we all know about it. I don't think that there's anything that I just presented in, in this in this guy's argument, anything that was said in front of this um, this committee. Uh, I don't think uh, that there's any shock uh, whatsoever uh, about about this. Like I, I don't think a single person um, in this audience is shocked by what he said because we all knew this. So many people have known this. For a long time. Now, you know, and like I said, it's and I think that that's the biggest part of why you're seeing um, basically a a freak out um, coming from the left is, you know, we've we've talked about several different personalities um, that have existed uh, even on the right. There were pro-vaccine people that were on the right. There were pro, you know, people who, I, I guess for lack of a better term, I mean, pro-vaccine isn't really even the way I want to go about it. I, I would just say people who bought into the COVID hysteria on the right. And now uh, they spent, you know, all of this time basically shaming anybody who disagreed with them saying that they were in a cult, saying that they were being hypnotized or whatever, and then all of a sudden, all of this data is coming out. The CDC is backpedaling on a bunch of the stuff that they said. There's all of this new medical research that's coming out. There's all of these people that are starting to speak out. And they are saying the things that all the dummy, dumb Americans have been saying the entire time. And I think that that's honestly part of it. Whether it's left or right or center, one of the things that is the most 
infuriating for the commentariat out there is that the regular dummy dumb American living on Main Street has been right the entire time about this. And they have been fighting like hell. These commentators have been fighting like hell to tell all the dummy dumbs to shut up. Oh, you don't know. I'm super smart. I'm a lawyer. You know, that that's like 99% of them, right? A lot of these commentators are lawyers and they write for who gives a shit political magazine. But th- that's their whole thing. They're infuriated over this because, well, I'm a lawyer and I'm so smart and I read the data. And you have, you know, Joe Sixpack over there saying like masks don't make any sense. It's the same little cloth thing. It's not going to protect against anything, you know, plus people wear them for days on end. This is stupid and it's not actually going to solve anything. And they go, oh, you need to pay attention to the data that's coming from me. A lawyer. What do you do? Probably didn't even go to Harvard. And then the next thing you know, that guy was right. And so these commentators are freaking out. And the reason why I point that out is, you know, part of the reason why we started this show is because there just aren't regular people talking about politics. You know, there aren't regular people doing it. It's all, you know, former lawyers, people who are senior fellows at Who Gives a Damn Institute. It's all, you know, I used to work on so-and-so's campaign. It's all part of this elite matrix. It's, It's such a small category of it. And it's there's... Very few places that are, you know, truly focused on on the voice of the regular American people and and a lack of a better term, just Main Street, right? It's all Wall Street or K Street, you know, um, which is the big lobbying area in Washington, D.C., for those who don't know. Um, There's not a whole lot of Main Street discussion that goes on. And to see the I mean, I do get a little bit of joy, if I'm being honest, from seeing some of these commentators that think that they're so damn smart and and think that their job is to um, tell regular Americans what to do with their lives instead of giving them the voice that they should be. uh, I'm entertained to watch them get slapped in the face a hundred percent because they've been fighting those same people, even people that were in their audience, even, you know, good people that believe everything that they believe. um, They just dismissed them because they thought that they were smarter than them. And oddly, I think the most frustrating part for a lot of us was they were trusting the media that they themselves told us not to trust. But the point is, is now that all of this is coming out, it's really shaking a lot of people, regardless of political alignment, because, I mean, it's exactly what we've been saying and what what other people have been saying for a very long time, which is that you don't trust the media. The media is biased. The media has an agenda. It's been hijacked by the elites. The elites are going to use the media inappropriately. But to that point, uh, on the show last week, we shared uh, the information about um, that letter that got all of those headlines where it was supposed to be all of these people. um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of exactly how to phrase it. Uh, but there are all, all of these people that wrote a, wrote a letter about Joe Rogan and having his podcast pulled from um, Spotify. And then in reality, what what did we find out? Well, we found out that they weren't actually doctors. Almost none of those people were doctors. And so the, the big lie was revealed uh, that it was all BS. Well, it's gone even further. And uh, we'll get into some of the other people that are demanding that Joe Rogan get pulled off. But what's amazing was 
even the Surgeon General, you know, the talking, you know, the the talking head uh, of the Biden administration decided to come out and he has an opinion about things like Joe Rogan. And, and here's what he had to say. The benefits of science, as exciting as these possibilities are, the benefits of science can only be extended to people if they have accurate information about vaccines and about other products of science. And one of the worries I have is that if we're not simultaneously working on trying to root out misinformation and elevate and uplift accurate information and accurate messengers, uh, then I worry uh, that a lot of the benefits that may come in the years ahead just may not be accessible to people. Now, I know that that was a little quiet because, I don't know, you guys kind of know me. <clears throat> but the big thing is, you know, his big worry is misinformation. You know, people won't be able to benefit from science if there's all of these people, you know, I don't know, pointing out how all the fallacies that are within the government's uh, claims, pointing out the illog- how illogical the government's ideas were, pointing out all the fail points, asking, you know, difficult questions. But since when did science become a uh, information competition? You know, the the thing that was supposed to make science so hallowed was the idea that it was okay to question it. Subject to regular testing and retesting. That was the whole concept of science. That was supposed to be what made it almost almost dogmatic was the fact that it could always be questioned and questioning science is part of science, right? But not now. Now the fear is, well, we need to make sure that people are only hearing the right people. And what does that mean? You know, everybody's going to try to emotionally say, well, you know, people lie. There's tons of people that lie about this all the time. Okay, well, people lie about a lot of things. People say a lot of crazy stuff. And in one aspect, who cares? <clears throat> but in another aspect, it's like, uh, okay. So if if their lies are so dumb, then disprove them. If people don't want to accept it, who gives a damn? And I say this very specifically because for a long time, uh, for years now, and but, but growing more and more, one of the most common things that I keep seeing across the information spectrum is uh, attacks on what everybody wants to call conspiracy theories. People literally lose their mind over the idea of what other people believe. And maybe this isn't interesting to those of you out there, but it's something that I have just been fascinated by. And I, I honestly can't get away from, um, because it's this odd obsession with being upset that people believe something. And, and there are people that believe things that are crazy. Uh, don't, you know, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I, I, I've played around with conspiracy theories. I've, you know, listened to paranormal stuff and there are people that believe stuff that I'm like, well, that's, that's just nuts. Um, but I also don't like lose sleep over the idea that somebody thinks something that I think is just absolutely crazy. I, I think one of the greatest um, examples of this is people who um, are upset over flat earth. Like, it was just one of the weirdest things. I never really read into flat earth. I didn't really give a crap about it. 
I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, Alan and I used to bat around and talk about it and just be like, okay, so like, what what do they think? And then, you know, we would kind of look into it and go, okay, well, that's kind of neat. And it, it was just neat to look at. It was just kind of funny uh, to see. I, I didn't care. It never affected me. But like Hollywood, the left, they acted like this was like weirdly like it was a threat. And one of the things that I, I want to point out when it comes to how information flows is there's almost as much credibility given or well, actually, let me rephrase. There's more credibility given to information based on the reaction of people to that information than the information itself. And by that, I mean, okay, so somebody comes out and says, uh, I think the Earth's flat and we've all been being lied to and NASA is a giant psychological operation. Okay, and a lot of people go, that's weird. I I don't know about that. And then they just go about their day, right? But then all of a sudden, you see all these people in media go anyone who thinks this is super dangerous and this is coming from the same group of people um that say all sorts of stuff you believe are dangerous so think about that for a second right uh they say anybody who believes that the earth is flat that that is a dangerous person and so that person's now categorized as being super dangerous but what else is super dangerous well anybody who voted for donald trump anybody who supports the gop anybody who flies an american flag uh, parents who think that reading to their children is okay. Uh, parents who want to know what their kids are learning in school. Uh, people who, you know, use words like patriotism. You know, these are all also listed as dangerous by these same people. And that immediately makes regular people go, well, oh, that's, that's odd. There, maybe there's something there. Now, I'm not saying that like flat earth grabbed a whole bunch of people. Honestly, the long story short on my uh, feelings on the whole flat earth conspiracy is I honestly think that it's like disinformation in the idea that I think people on the left created flat earth because I don't know that many people that are actually flat earthers. I knew a lot of people that would talk about it and be like, yeah, okay, so what's the deal with this? They would look into it for fun, right? Um, but I don't know a lot of people that are like, actually uh, committed to it, believe it, what have you. I'm sure that there are some, but I don't know anybody. And I, I've seen, I see a lot of people who believe a lot of things, just to be honest with you. Um, but the left makes it sound like there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that believe in this. And I don't know them. I don't think that that's true. So I believe um, that is all a lie. I think that the left pretends that flat earth is super popular i think the left pretends that a lot of conspiracy theories are super popular even though they're not and they do this to discredit anything else that they can attempt to pin to the same ideology now what i mean by that is remember all of these people always want to say that they, they make everything political. They pretend that they don't, but we all know that they make everything political. And so when they do that, people end up looking at it and going, well, I mean, you know, if you if you think that masks man, if you think mask mandates are bad, um, then you're probably a flat earther, right? That's exactly why they do those kinds of things. And... 
you guys get the idea here. But the idea that it's dangerous, that's super weird. I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think it makes sense to anybody in reality. Um, and I, But I think that, that that requires us to take a little bit of a deeper look. Interestingly enough, since I'm talking about space, uh, there was a uh, an article earlier this week that I wanted to put out, which was that um, Democrats stripped out all of the text on a NASA bill. So there was a bill um, that was going into uh, Congress, and the bill was about NASA being able to do uh, to conduct leasing agreements with some of their land in a way to generate revenue for NASA um, in the idea of space programs and things like that, um, and. Demo- because because it had already been voted on and things had already gone through, what the Democrats did is they took the NASA bill, uh, they took its title, they completely removed all of the text of the NASA bill, and they input all of the text of their um, election um, their election meddling scheme, their their voting act that they want to put through that federalizes everything and makes it to where the federal government can instantiate its power into elections and thereby just remove any ability of states to have a say, which is how this republic was built. The long story short, their way of stealing elections, right? Um, They took out the text of a bill and then put in all of the text of this voting bill that had already gone through the House. And therefore... They were going to submit it to the Senate. And that was their way to get around the filibuster, purportedly. Now, if you want a good example of whether or not you're the good guys or the bad guys, um, if you have to lie by removing all of the text of a bill and inputting something that has nothing to do with the bill at all, Um, as some way to tap dance around anybody being able to look at it and honestly vote on it, um, you're not the good guys. I don't think I need to say that, but here we are. You're not the good guys if you have to do that. Your bill is not popular. Now, remember, one of the biggest pinnacles of this bill is voter ID, which voter ID is hilarious to me because the claim from the left is that apparently blacks can't get uh, IDs, which strangely enough, like three quarters of black Americans support voter ID. (laughs) So it's like only, only some small percentage of crazy liberals on the coast think that black people are too dumb to get IDs. I mean, is anyone surprised by that? Of course not. Like 99% of coastal liberalism is this weird Messiah complex that is extremely racist and sexist, but you all have heard those arguments before, um, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think it's great for them to continue to go down the road of it's OK. I'm a rich white person that's here to save the poor, savage black man that can't even get an ID. Let me know how that works out for you. Now, granted, there are some cynics out there and understandably so they will say, yep, but they'll still vote for them because whatever reason. That is definitely something that I think we should look into. Like, Why do you keep voting for um Why do you keep voting for people who have just the worst, just the absolute worst opinion of you? Now, speaking of things like that, um, when we get into race a little bit, I have some fun stories that come into that, especially because uh, Biden has announced that he is going to pick like so 
Stephen Breyer. Uh, we actually a lot later than I had predicted. Stephen Breyer finally decided that he's too old for this, um, and he's decided to retire from the Supreme Court. Which means that Joe Biden is now going to have a Supreme Court pick. Now, of course, he promised during the campaign that he was going to absolutely pick a woman of color. He's going to pick a black woman. Now, 73% of Americans, according to a Hill opinion poll, said that they want Joe Biden to consider all nominees. This is a very unpopular decision to base all picks on race. But leave it to the Democrats to always do things that are wildly unpopular. And that is saying, I'm not going to consider the qualifications of anybody. Uh, We need to put an asterisk next to the name of the next Supreme Court nominee and say that this nominee was not picked due to any of their traits, any of their abilities, or any of their bona fides or anything like that. They were picked solely based on what's between their legs and the color of their skin. Because that's exactly what Joe Biden is saying. Joe Biden is saying the only thing that's important about qualifying the nominee for the Supreme Court is their gender and their race. But it's not just Joe Biden, because what do we run into? Well, if you want to look for limp spines anywhere, if you're ever if you're ever in the market for a limp spine, might I suggest that you look towards the GOP, because here's Senator Lindsey Graham on Face the Nation this morning discussing exactly this. And President Reagan said, running for office, that he wanted to put the first female mm-hmm. on the court. Whether you like it or not, Joe Biden said, I'm going to pick an African-American woman to serve on the Supreme Court. I believe there are plenty of qualified African-American women, conservative and liberal, that could go on to the court. So I don't, concede that, I don't see Michelle Childs as an act of affirmative action. I do see putting a black woman on the court, making the court more like America in the history of our country, We've only had uh, five women serve Mm -hmm. and two African-American men. And President Reagan said running for office that he. So Lindsey Graham is basically buying into the identity politics nonsense. Now, people, it's really funny because I'm I'm very good friends with somebody who works for um, the, the Republican Party within South Carolina. And uh, Lindsey Graham is one of the most frustrating individuals um, um, for this buddy of mine. He just has to deal with it. But the insanity that that we run into with this is, let me explain, what's so pervasive about this dumbassery is... Of course, everybody on the left is going to say, see, they're just obsessed with the idea of a woman and a, and a black. and oh. It's not that. Fundamentally, fundamentally focusing at all on someone's gender or someone's race is fundamentally anti-conservative. The reason why is the big thing that buttresses everything in conservatism is the concept of individuality. Rugged individualism is the kind of thing that built this country. The idea of people being judged by their actions, by what they have done, And as individuals, 
is one of the most fundamental parts of American conservatism. It is the rights of the individual, the raising up of individual success, the idea that you yourself are responsible for your destiny. So anything that becomes collectivist and removes away from the individual, of course, within reason, right? When you get into hyper-libertarianism, it becomes really, really difficult. We all, we all know about those, those situations. But when you hyper-focus on things like what we just heard Lindsey Graham do, it is fundamentally anti-conservative because it threatens the idea of that individual. Okay, it... If, according to Lindsey Graham, well, there are, I think that there are plenty extremely well-qualified uh, black women that could be on the court. Awesome. Then put them up. Pick them because they're extremely well-qualified. Don't pick them because they're black and female. Otherwise, otherwise, literally, like I said, you have to put an asterisk next to the name. You have to, because it's already been stated. If it was just random or what have you, you know, if we just lived in a sane country that wasn't obsessed over race and gender all the time, and a black woman got nominated to the Supreme Court, people would be like, wow, this is going to be historic. That's crazy. But obviously, is probably the best pick, the one that was most likely that was going to go through the Senate, not have any sort of problems, not have any sort of pushback, you know, what have you. That That's it right there. Oh my gosh. That would be, then nobody would be worried about it, right? But instead, because of the hyper-focus on things like race and gender, we know for a fact that that's not the case. It's not the most qualified person. The only qualifier for this person was race and gender. And Lindsey Graham is saying, well, that's okay. And he says the most insidious talking point, which is the court needs to look more like America. What understand that statement. First of all, it's a statement that came from liberals, but understand that statement. You know, and, and maybe maybe this is a little too silly and, and uh, I, I guess, kind of standard boilerplate nonsense. But just understand that statement. Well, it needs to look more like America. Uh, I don't know what that means. It's a court. It's looks don't matter. That's very superficial, first of all. Oh, well, oh, okay, well, it looks like America. That's okay. Not that it defends America or represents America or it... it, it it is more apt to be like regular Americans out there. No, no, it just looks that way. Oh, okay. So I guess that's all that matters. As long as it looks that way, it's fine. <clears throat> they can all be communist as long as it looks American when we do it. So the, su- the the superficial aspect of that argument is dumb enough as it is. But also, if it's so important that it looks like America, what you're literally saying, Senator Graham, what you're literally saying when you say that putting a black woman on the Supreme Court will make it look more like America, is you are saying fundamentally that whomever gets chosen, the the black woman that gets chosen as an associate justice to the Supreme Court, oh well, she'll finally represent all black women because they're so different. They are so fundamentally different from everybody else in the United States that they literally have zero representation. That's what you're saying. That's what that argument means. That's what these arguments actually mean. And understand that. that There's been a lot of discussion on the left where they claim that America's getting more racist. Oh, racism's worse than it's ever been in the United States. 
if that's true, which I don't believe it is, but if that's true, maybe it's because liberals have 100% been pushing the idea that black people are so fundamentally different that you have to have them in every aspect of governance because white people could never pass things that that black people want because we just can't possibly understand them we're so divergent our race makes us so divergent from each other that we have to make sure that there are um same thing with gender by the way but we're so divergent from each other either based on race or gender that if we don't have a woman on this board there's no way that women could be represented in fact, women would somehow be abused or hurt or harmed in some form or fashion because we're so fundamentally different. Gender makes you fundamentally different. Race makes you fundamentally different. These are, in fact, the same arguments that were used to justify things like slavery. These are the exact types of arguments. Because you had a bunch of people, a bunch of Dutch that went to Africa and were like, wow, it's a bunch of tribal people. You know, they, there must be something wrong with them fundamentally because we have ships and windows and medicine. You know, (laughs) we have all of these things and these guys are living in huts and, you know, uh, singing to a sky God or, you know, what have you. There must be something fundamentally different. My white skin must make me more intelligent because look at how much my society has progressed. Vice, these people over here, there must be something fundamentally different. How is that a different thought process that slave traders used to what the Democrats of today are using? How is that a different thought process when they say, well, if we don't have a black person here, then we couldn't possibly serve black people because they're so fundamentally different because of their race. Their race literally makes them so divergent from us that a white person can't even possibly help a black person because they're just so different. We just can't. And it's 100% not true. Now, what it really highlights, if we're being completely honest, is that all of this racial nonsense is a grift. Um, Here's a, a clip that comes from Libs of TikTok, uh, which is a great social media account if you haven't followed it. Um, this is a woman who basically makes her money being quote, anti-racist. She's an anti-racist, uh, professional. Um, and th- this is how she says that you can truly be, um, um, anti-racist. This is her opinion on uh, what it takes to be anti-racist. And it, uh, kind of takes the mask off of the whole thing. And I've, I've got a news story to back this up later. Hey y'all. For those that don't know, I do anti-racism work professionally. I'm a facilitator and a consultant. Um, In my day job, I offer political education and move resources to the larger social justice movement. Um, And in my side hustles, I offer political education and guidance to organizations and other organizing bodies to help them unlearn white supremacy culture. When I first started doing this work, my work was very much geared towards white folks and helping white folks understand racism and just trying to change their minds. And that was fruitless. I was not enjoying myself, so I shifted my political education to center black folks specifically and other people of color. What I expect from white folks, what white folks anti-racism work truly is, is the redistribution of wealth in this country. If you are not 
paying reparations to black and brown folks right now, you are not anti-racist. Well, there you have it. Mass came off. Redistribution of wealth. Oh, so it was Marxism the entire time. Yep. It's Marxism. It's the new face of Marxism. It's not even the new face of Marxism, by the way. There have been obvious connections to the Communist Party and all of these claims that America is super racist and must repent. These things have been ingrained in the communist um, thought process moving in toward the United States. The uh, biggest, one of the biggest attacks, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, information campaigns that occurred from uh, communism, from the USSR, from Russia itself, was the push against um, uh, making America racist to further communism. Now, this is a Fox News story uh, that some friends sent me, uh, which is BLM, Black Lives Matter, transferred millions to Canadian charity to buy mansion, formerly owned by Communist Party. So Black Lives Matter moved millions of dollars to a charity in Canada run by the wife of co-founder Patrice Con Colors. <laughs> so let's start there. Run by the wife of co-founder Patrice Con Colors to purchase a mansion that used to be the headquarters of the Communist Party of Canada, according to public records reviewed by the New York Post. M4BJ, which is a nonprofit based in Toronto that was set up in part by Janaya Khan, bought the 10,000 square foot mansion for $6.3 million in July 2021. Khan is the wife of Khan Colors, a self-professed Marxist who helped found Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation Network. Last year, Con Colors resigned from the organization after an investigation revealed that she spent $3.2 million on homes in Georgia and Los Angeles. She reportedly denied that the homes were purchased with donations to Black Lives Matter. The purchase of the Toronto mansion, which is also called Wild Seed Center for Art and Activism, drew criticism from within the organization. Quote, for BLM Canada to take money from BLM Global Network for a building without consulting the community was unethical, end quote. Canadian BLM activist Sarah Jama and Sahra Saudi recently said, quote, for BLM Canada to refuse to answer questions from young black organizers goes against the spirit of movement building. Whoops. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, according to a recent investigation by the Washington Examiner, two activists who were supposed to assume leadership after Con Colors' resignation left abruptly in September. Colors stepped down from her role as executive director of the activist group's central foundation last year amid questions about her finances. Colors was questioned intensely on a series of real estate investments and property purchases, leading to criticism for her perceived opulence while claiming to be a Marxist. After Colors resigned, BLM told the media that two new leaders who hold co-executive positions of leadership moving forward, which never happened. Although a media advisory was released indicating that there were that we sorry that we were tapped to play the role of senior co-executives at the BLM Global uh, Global Foundation, 
We were not able to come to an agreement with the acting leadership council about the scope of our work and authority, wrote Makani Themba, one of, one of the announced executives who never assumed office. The statement alleged to also represent uh, Monifa Bendel, the other proposed BLM senior executive. As a result, we did not have the opportunity to serve in this capacity. We wanted to be sure to inform our community of of this fact as we move on to serve the movement in other ways. So how interesting is that when we come to the idea of, um, like, of course, right? So, by the way, I would say that this actually is fundamentally Marxist. You know, people say that this isn't in this in, in the service of Marxism, but how is it not? And I say this because how how is it not in the service of Marxism? Because it appears that Marxism is just always a way for people to take other people's money to enrich themselves. So I think that this is exactly in line with Marxism. I think they're 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 doing the perfect representation of Marxism, but it also shows that it's all just been a con because I'll ask you something. When have you seen Black Lives Matter actually do something for the black community as opposed to just take its money and then enrich themselves? Now, I'll take a quick second and uh, let's let's take a look. And um, HD Cynical says, have you guys thought of expanding out and streaming on Odyssey, DLive and Rumble? Uh, I'm going to address that question real quick. Do you mean like video streaming? Is is that kind of the question here? It's like, why aren't we going back to video? Um, I ask because this is also a question that like my dad asked me and whether or not we're going to go back to video streaming. And I think that it's an interesting question. And since it's just me here sitting behind the microphone and I don't have Alan with me, I'll be happy to kind of address, um, because people do ask like, Hey, how come you guys don't do video? And I guess, I guess this fundamentally comes down to a question that I have for all of you. Why is video important? Um, and I, I don't mean that to be mean and I don't want to sound rude, but why, why is video important as a medium as opposed to audio? Because I ask this because I, I thought audio would be a far easier platform for people to consume this kind of information because you don't have to watch it, right? You just put it in your ears, do your chores, you know, uh, do whatever it is, go on a drive, heading into work. You know, there's, a, it, it feels like a more versatile resource, um, audio wise, but I have other, other reasons, um, why we stick to the podcasting platform as opposed to going to streaming. And, um, I guess I can get into those if, if people really want to know. So obviously initially when we were streaming this program out, we were doing it on YouTube, uh, because YouTube's massive, right? It has a huge audience. It gets a lot of clicks and views. Uh, we've done other sites. We've hosted content on other sites. We've put it up on there and it just never, uh, got the same kind of traction that you could get organically off of YouTube. Uh, just because YouTube just has a far larger market share. If you really want to just get down into the numbers of it and the business of it, they have a far larger market share. Uh, for gaining traction and, and getting a new audience. But additionally on that, when you do a visual program, there's a lot of focus on you have to make it, I don't know a better way to say it, but you have to make it pretty, right? You have to focus on how it looks. And when you're focusing on how it looks, it detracts from gathering the information. It doesn't mean that you can't do both because you absolutely can. But we were initially on YouTube. We put a lot of time and effort 
into making sure we had appropriate cameras, making sure that we had good setups that looked visually pleasing, uh, gathering up video clips, making sure that the video clips were there, um, making sure that they were cut right, edited right, sound was good, and making sure that we had the uh, proper ways to bring them on and off of the screen that were visual, visually pleasing. To be honest, it was very fun. But it was also very time-consuming. That's okay. You guys are worth that kind of time investment. But we ran into a fundamental issue being on YouTube. Number one, any time that we played certain clips, especially when our videos would get very popular, we would consistently get hit with uh, copyright violations. We couldn't play a clip from NBC without NBC... Uh, choking our video off, not allowing it to be distributed within seconds of the video being published, it would get blocked by NBC for about a week. We would have to challenge the copyright block. And then by the time it got released, it was a week later and that information was no longer valuable to anybody in an audience. So the video would, for lack of a better term in the way that the internet marketing sphere works, it would die. It would be dead and it couldn't be shared. So it would get blocked because of copyright issues. Now, secondarily, we got kicked off of YouTube early on. Specifically, specifically, the nail in the coffin that killed us on YouTube was when we played, this was almost a year ago now, when we played a, we did a then versus now, how it started, how how it's going. People see that on social media a lot. And it was Democrats early on in the pandemic talking about how not everything's fine. Uh, if you think that COVID's a problem, you're a racist. And then we played them all freaking out about vaccines and mandates and lockdowns and all this other stuff. And that actually got us thrown off of YouTube. Now, that addresses YouTube, right? The next question is, is have we thought about doing streaming on all other programs? I still wouldn't mind uh, if people could answer the question, why video? Uh, why is that more important to you than audio? Because it's an interesting thing. I, I think it's a, a neat idea to ask the question. But like, why not these other streaming platforms? If I'm going to be completely honest, um, there are alternative streaming platforms for video that exist. And um, not all of them. Some of them do. I will admit some of them do live. Uh, the ability to live stream, not very many of them do good integration for live streaming. Uh, like what we had when we were doing YouTube doesn't mean that we can't do it. It's just that uh, the integration of it is actually a pain in the ass. So in other words, it would be us recording the podcast for video. The podcast would be live as it is right now. And then a video would post later, which seems clunky to me and strange. And I don't know what the benefit is for doing it live on a podcast and then asking people, well, if you want to look at our faces, wait for a couple of hours and then you'll be able to see our faces. Uh, that seemed a little odd to me, but the other reason why is, um, nobody can agree on what the good platform is. What I mean by that is, do we post it on rumble? Do we put it on odyssey? Do we put it on D live? Do we put it on, um, bit shoot? Do we put it on Twitch? Do we have to put it on all of them? And that's honestly, if I if I really want to get into it, that's honestly why. Because I can tell you debates that I've heard from all of these different platforms. Not that I necessarily care about some of the statements that people make in these debates. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, uh, like Rumble. Okay, half half of the people on the right tell me that Rumble's owned by the Chinese. That Rumble is affiliated with Getter. 
and they were invested in by the Chinese. Whether that's true, I don't know. But this is the problem, right? Is, you know, we built our own, for lack of a better term, there are alternative social media. It's the same reason for social media, just so you guys understand. It's the same thing with social media. Like, do, do we have a social media presence on things like Getter? Yeah, absolutely we do. Is it worthwhile? No, it's not. And why not? Because there's not an audience there. It doesn't mean that there aren't people on Getter. It doesn't mean that we don't post things on Getter. It's just that nobody goes there. We've had Gab accounts. We've had uh, accounts with a lot of other different platforms like that. And one of the fundamental things that I will say is a bunch of creators go over to these areas. A bunch of content creators go to these platforms to push their content out. And there's almost no audience. There's all content creators out there telling everybody to follow them on such and such. But then there's almost no audience that's on it. Everybody's trying to sell a product. Nobody's there to buy it. Does that make sense? Um, and I understand, but, uh, you know, fun, I, I understand that people like the idea of video uh, as a medium. I get it. I just, um, I guess the, the real question is, is what benefit comes, comes to it? What, what is something inherently beneficial to doing video vice say an audio program, like what we're doing? Now, would I like to do a video program? 100%. But uh, to be honest, the proper way that I would like to do it um, is a lot of money. There'd be a lot of production costs because I'd want it to be done right. Now, uh, semi-joking, but also not joking. If you guys really like the idea of Wrong Think Radio being a video-based program, you guys want to have it be basically a show, right? You want it to be basically like a television show or something that's that's streamed there. Cool. We could do that. Um, and here's how you guys could get that to happen. Uh, convince one of these news organizations like Blaze to put us up. Get our show there. Because then, yes, I would do it. Because then that would be the kind of time commitment is to have that organization be the employer. You know, like then we'd get paid for it. We'd put the money into it. We'd have the budget for it to do it right. Otherwise, and not debating, I understand that some people really like, I, I watch some visual um, content, you know, like there are shows that I watch that absolutely are, you know, that, that could be a podcast, but they're not. Um, I absolutely watch those things. Totally understand. Um, it's mostly just, I, when we, when we got booted off of YouTube, we had to think about it and figure out whether or not we wanted to do it. And for the life of me, I just could not find um, any real purpose to do it. I didn't see why putting our faces on camera made the information better. Does that make sense? I, I didn't see where it made the information better. I saw where it became more about it looking pretty than it was about it being correct or logical or, or focused. And that's not a bad thing that I also, to be fair, am fundamentally, um, I find radio romantic. I find, you know, maybe that's a weird way to say it to you guys, but, uh, there's something about radio, which I consider podcast to be an extension of radio. Um, that's more intimate. You know, it's more conversational. And to be completely honest, I would like to grow this further 
into a program that takes calls based on the idea that we want to hear from regular Americans. And that's something that's been more um, common with the format of radio, particularly, you know, for decades, AM radio and radio talk shows have been more conversational with the American people and having people call in, hearing their opinions. That is a very radio format, radio oriented situation, vice um, your sort of 24 hour news network show um, that I really like um, far more than focusing on the imagery of it. I like the idea of focusing on the conversation of it um, more so than having to worry about what everything looks like. I, I want it to feel more conversational. And so that's the reason why is, you know, it, maybe it's old school. Maybe it's silly. Um, you know, uh, HD Cynical is offering up some uh, different sites that could be used, and I understand it. But I'm still asking the question of how does the information get better uh, being on video? How does it make the information better? Uh, Vice having the conversation. Or maybe it, it, are podcasts frustrating? Is there something I'm missing um, on the idea that podcasts are more frustrating or, or more annoying or is it just <laughs> is it just that people like to sit down and, and they really want to have like kind of that chat and the fact that there's no like you're sitting here on a chat right now and there's nothing to look at right <laughs> you're just kind of staring at a computer monitor and a chat window um is that maybe the the frustrating part of it um so i don't know uh it'll be interesting to get other people's opinions on it uh to be fair i mean some of it is the pain in the ass of finding uh, different platforms. Some of it's the pain in the ass of just uh, hosting a video itself and having to fo- uh, focus on, I mean, like, like like what's being said here. I like having this conversation, so I'm sorry if this is boring the rest of the audience, but because it, it's a question that comes up occasionally. You know, like it doesn't have to be pretty, but it makes it easier for you to follow along uh, so I can dis- display the article that I'm referencing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I could display the article that I'm referencing on screen. You're right. It also boxes me in and what I can talk about. Do I have a clip of that article? Did I screen grab it? Was I able to do that? Did I do the slide over on it? Oh, okay. Well, I can't talk about this other thing, or I can, but I'm not going to be able to slide it on screen like all the other articles that I preloaded. It's not as nimble because you have to worry about that visual aspect of it. It's not a complaint. It's just a statement. I'm not saying that there aren't absolutely benefits to what you're saying about the idea of it making it easier to follow along. Sure, that's absolutely true. There are benefits to it. Um, but there are also strictures that cause you to get a little bit of a uh, little bit hamstrung, right? Like you have to prep everything beforehand uh, for the visuals. And it is cool. It does look neat. And I will agree. Uh, it does make it kind of easier to follow along when you can have that little headline come across the screen. It also boxes you in to not be able to stray off that path. Or at least if you do, you're immediately limiting yourself because you're focusing on the idea of having that visual aspect. It doesn't allow you to be very agile. Now, personally, that's because sharing screen and stuff while you're actively going through isn't something I really like the idea of doing. Um, you know, while you're live streaming. Plus, to be honest, a big part of it, uh, you know, is the culture of what occurs on these video platforms. Uh, People were obsessed with always trying to figure out every little thing about you. 
you know, um, people become celebrities basically off of uh, videos. Well, I don't know. That's it. it you know, I, I look at situations like what happened with Tim Pool um, recently, a few weeks back in the middle of his show. Somebody had a SWAT team basically kick down the door and come rushing in, um, you know. Stuff like that is, uh, I mean, on a podcast, nobody really tries to swat you, but they really think it's hilarious when you're streaming live because, you know, everybody wants to see, you know, all the people that hate Tim Pool, apparently, uh, you know, want to see a SWAT team rush in and shoot him in the face. Um, it's just uh, there. there's just a lot of toxicity that goes into that kind of stuff as well. That's just sort of a silly statement, right? It's not like, oh, I don't want to be on video because I'm afraid someone's going to swat me. That's a little silly. Um, that's not what I'm saying, but it's just that it's one of those things that comes out of it. And part of it too, is I don't want to feed the beasts, right? I don't want to feed YouTube. I don't want to feed them. And there are other, I, I, like I said, I, I get it. There's rumble and there's some of these other, other groups, but, um, they certainly exist, but you know, how long, you know, once they're getting bigger, now that they're being financed, now that they're being partnered, how long is it until they start cutting people off too? Or is it a uh, ecosystem in which there's a thousand content creators for the two people that showed up to actually watch something? Maybe we'll consider it. Like I said, we'll look into it. Uh, Jason says that uh, we'd do awesome if we hooked up with the Media Research Center. I actually do really like the Media Research Center. That's uh, MRC TV. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they're also the brand Newsbusters. Um, very entertaining people. Uh, really neat group. Um, really like the kind of stuff that they do. Uh, so they are actually a, an informational reference that we use a lot on this program as well. Um, so they are a lot of fun. Uh, they're fun to go take a look at and, uh, do some research. Uh, good site to follow, I would say, uh, for a lot of stuff. And yeah, I would, I would think it'd be kind of fun to be involved with groups like that. There were, uh, there, there was a deal that we were working on, uh, years back, um, to give you guys sort of a little bit of, um, inside baseball since we're just, I guess we're, we're having this conversation now. There was a deal where we were getting together with a a news organization that I'll remain nameless, but um, you would recognize the name uh, if I told you about them, where we were going to be hosted um, exclusively uh, under one of their um, groups. Uh, Basically the idea was they were going to start a podcast network um, they're a large network that has several small assets out there, different news orgs, um, under them that cover different aspects of news. And they wanted to do a podcast network, uh, where some podcasts would be hosted under these specific people. Um, you know, under these, sorry, under these specific, uh, flags, these groups that they have out there, it ended up falling through. Um, not for anything super nefarious, but it was gatekeeping because that also happens a lot. What it was is there was a podcast that, um, they really wanted. It has a lot of, it had a lot of listeners, uh, had a lot of viewers. That's all well and good and good for them. Um, but they said, well, if we're going to be on your network, um, then we want you to pick up these other shows, but no other shows. You get us exclusively and then we get to kind of, we get to choose who gets brought in. And this is very common. It's common in any business, um, but it's also common in conservative media. There's a lot of gatekeeping. Um, You know, a lot of the big names 
it's something you have to think about. Actually, this is a really good segue into one of the stories I was going to talk about today is, um, you know, you have to understand that a lot of these people view some of these things as a business. You know, um, not everybody's a Rush Limbaugh, somebody who just really liked to talk on radio and made a great business out of it. You know, some people are business people and maybe they do have conservative views and they do like the idea of making a show. But understand that um, they also view it as a business. And part of that business is you have to be worried and concerned about competition. And so how do you take care of competition? Well, one of the things that we saw um, early on in, say, like 2015, 2016, was there were a lot of news organizations on the conservative side that were seemingly concerned about, quote, the alt-right. And they would start naming people that they said were part of this alt-right. And in reality, you know, if you really look at it, who are the people that they're calling alt-right? Who are the people that these people are dismissing? They were shows that were growing faster and starting to edge up on them. And so it became this battle of, oh, well, they're not real conservatives. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. Now, not in every case, but certainly in a lot of cases. Certainly in a lot of cases, there were 100% situations where... Um, they don't want competition. They don't want to have to fight for that spot. They don't want to have to fight for that. Um, you know, they don't want to have to fight for that position. And so what they'll do is, you know, they'll convince everybody, uh, that somebody that's growing on them, um, you know, viewer wise, somebody that looks like it's a competition viewer wise, um, you know, they, they need to be destroyed because that person doesn't want to lose their position. And, you know, are there like, is it okay to disagree with other, uh, you know, podcast groups? Sure. Especially if you fundamentally disagree with them, if you don't think that they represent you, you know, hundred percent, like you guys will hear me bring up <coughs> conservatives occasionally on this program. It's not because I'm vying for their audience. It's because I think that they're wrong and you need to make that argument that they're wrong. I don't think that those people made that argument. I think a lot of people made the argument that you shouldn't like that guy. You should like me. Um, and, you know, just always always be concerned about that. Now, speaking of how marketing and stuff like that works, this is actually a good segue into one of the uh, things I brought up earlier, the stuff with uh, Joe Rogan and Spotify. Um, and the uh, Surgeon General even talking about misinformation, disinformation, which obviously we know was related to this. Um, hilariously, I'll, there's been a lot of news stories about different people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell uh, saying that they will not allow their music to be played on Spotify as long as Joe Rogan is still on there because they're so worried about disinformation and misinformation. Nobody below 60 knows who Neil Young or Joni Mitchell are. And anyone above 60 doesn't know what the hell Spotify is. The reason why I bring that up is uh, it's pretty simple to point out. These people don't give a damn about Joe Rogan. Um, They want to try to use this to get legitimacy. This is a way to get your name in the headlines. Neil Young, nobody's really cared about Neil Young for a pretty long time. Joni Mitchell, not a lot of talk about her recently, but a lot of talk about her now. There's also some like female CEO that supposedly runs a podcast that no one's ever heard of. 
that came out and said the same thing. This is all marketing, guys. These people don't care about Joe Rogan. They don't care about what he's saying. They don't give a shit. But they know that MSNBC will put their name in the news. They know that they might be able to actually garner an audience 100%. Um, they're using this to garner an audience 100% by getting outraged liberals to feel like, oh, well, if they're on my side, I want to support them. That's exactly what this is. This is just a marketing scheme. And so it's not shocking at all when you realize that that's 100% the thing that they're focusing on. And this happens a lot. Um Because of how the left-wing media has turned the United States into so politics first and and what have you, um, you'll see this all the time. Uh, Hilariously, like um, one of the things that people are bringing up was uh, M&M's, right? Uh, M&M's, Mars, they they, um, changed some dumb woke corporate nonsense about changing the M&M's to look more inclusive or what the hell ever. And one of the things that people are pointing out is something that we pointed out months and months ago when Oreo decided to like unveil an LGBTQ cookie. And it's because um, a lot of the places where they source cocoa from uh, groups like Mondelez, who's responsible for sourcing the cocoa that goes into Oreo cookies um, are all being looked at for child labor violations. Um, They've been using children's slave labor to get their cocoa. And so what the what they do, what M&M's does, what you know, Oreo does, what Nike does. Uh cuz Nike uses child slave labor in China, right? What these groups do is because they know uh that they can get a group of psychotic frothy-mouthed liberals on their side if they just go people who, you know, pe- people who wear maga hats don't like us. And then all of the liberals, because they're a cult, go, well, I love you then. You are now my God. Um, They do that. So what will happen is you will have uh, these uh, corporations will basically say things to try to start a fight with conservatives or fake a fight with conservatives. Conservatives outraged over LGBTQ cookie. They're not outraged by it. They're making fun of it. Those be like, this is so dumb. Woke America is ridiculous. It's a cookie. Oh my God. And then the conservatives outraged and everyone goes, well, I'm not hateful. I'm going to buy every Oreo I can. And then when Oreo comes up in the news and they start talking about slave labor, the mental reaction that will happen is this is probably some concocted lie because the only news organization that's talking about it is Fox and it's Tucker Carlson. So it's probably not even true because of course, who's not going to talk about it? MSNBC or CNN. That's why they do those things. So just so you, um, understand now speaking um i'm scrolling through twitter real quick to take a look at a few things and some of the things that are coming out is there's videos where people are uh pointing out um how liberals that are getting really upset over these truck protests are trying to throw spikes and nails out in the roads uh in an attempt to flatten the tires um 
you know, are, are trying to flatten the tires of these trucks that are coming in for these protests. And additionally, there's apparently provocateurs um, who are trying to come in and um, start, well, basically start some shit. Uh, in fact, here's a here's a video real quick where it's the tweet for this is a provocateur hiding his face uh, attempted to distort the appearance of the freedom movement in Canada. OK, so it's some guy wearing a full on mask and he's wandering around with a uh, uh, Confederate flag and everybody like pointed out that this guy is just full of, you know, full of garbage and trying to shove him out or whatever. Um and and so, you know, the whole idea here is like, first of all, this is Canada. How many Canadians are running around with Confederate flags, right? This is this is so similar to Eric Swalwell's weird tweets where he's like, oh, this Canadian guy was threatening me and calling me a traitor. Uh, and he said that he got radicalized by Joe Rogan. Like, dude, how many I lived in Canada for a little bit. Now, American politics does influence Canada because, I mean, when your neighbor's super awesome and you're in Canada, like, you kind of want to, you know, connect yourself to something. But let's let's be real for a second here. Do you really think Canadians give a damn about Eric Swalwell? Do you think they even know who he is? Probably not. So it's obviously bullshit. And for those of you who haven't been following... Eric Swalwell um, claimed to be posting direct messages that he had with somebody from Canada. And the guy was like, you're a traitor and like you should be hung or something, something like that. And then it's like the most dumb conversation because he's like, oh, hey, my name's Eric. What's your name? I've been to Vancouver. Super neat place. Oh, my gosh. And then. All of a sudden, the thing changed where the guy's like, well, gee golly, Mr. Swalwell, I'm so sorry for the things that I said. You're super nice. And it's like just so disturbingly fake. You can find it. It might be a little hard now, but you can find it on our Twitter. Um, And you can see these DMs. They're so ridiculous. They're so obviously fake. This is very obviously one of Eric Swalwell's staffers uh, pretending to be Canadian secondarily like later uh i think it was last week i don't remember if we got to it on the show or not but it was on the um uh program setup but we may not we may have run out of time uh he had the same thing where all of these supposed europeans were thanking him for fighting for voting because apparently german families spend all of this time thinking about eric swalwell and what voting legislation he's voting on in the united states obviously that's not happening But now you've got this um, guy wandering around with a Confederate flag with a picture of a truck on it, waving this flag because tons of Canadians identify with Confederates, I guess. So obviously, like the Lincoln Project, or maybe this guy's also, uh, you know, one of Eric Swalwell's staffer is going out there. Like, do I care if somebody has a Confederate flag? No, I don't give a shit. Um, I really don't. Uh, But... You know, is it something that the left wing media would absolutely have somebody do so they could go see guys, they're all racists. Don't pay attention to the, you know, don't pay attention to the regular citizens who are pushing back against the elites. You don't want to be one of the bad guys, right? Like that's exactly 
what this is. You know, so it's like the Lincoln Project Canada decided to get involved. And now I mean, I, I say that jokingly, but I almost kind of mean it. Like, would the Lincoln, would groups like the Lincoln Project um, send in agents provocateur uh, to these protests to cause strife? A hundred percent they would. Because um, these types of, uh, these things becoming extremely popular will encourage Americans as well. And that's very dangerous. That's the thing that they, because it, if, you know, we're, we're constantly told that like Canadians are these rational people, rational, good liberals, right? Like I, it wouldn't surprise me. And I, I don't mean to be rude to people that are Canadian, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, if you asked a lot of Americans, if you said, Hey, um, if every Canadian was made a United States citizen tomorrow, how would they vote? People would say, oh, they'd probably all vote Democrat. I think that that's pretty reasonable to say, right? They would say, yeah, they'd probably all vote Democrat. Well, okay. So I think that that's the perception that a lot of Americans have about Europe, about Canada, is that they'd all vote Democrat. They'd all be liberal, right? Conservatism is... uh, by the way, the media presents it. Conservatism is something that's uh, uniquely American. Like we have this unique brand of conservatism and even conservatives in Europe are liberal. You know, we all, you all know what I'm talking about. Well, what happens if you think that everybody in Canada and everybody in Europe would vote Democrat and you're a Democrat and you, you've thought this for decades, right? You basically have a fetish. Uh, for European countries and for Canada because they're just so good and liberal. There's almost none of these gun-toting, Bible-thumping, you know, hillbilly idiots there. Um, And then all of a sudden they're all protesting vaccine mandates. This is actually uh, very bad for the left because they've idealized Europe. They've idealized Canada because they're so federal, because they're so, uh, because they have universal health care, because the people have basically like little to no rights. There's no guaranteed freedom of, um, there's almost, yeah, there's almost no, no guaranteed, uh, freedom of speech in these countries. Um, it's insane. So, but yeah, I mean, so would it would it be likely to see things like that? A hundred percent. Um, absolutely. So, trying to see uh, what else there might be, but um, yeah, there's there there's obviously still some some freakouts going on. Uh, because you know polling is coming out and it is absolutely scaring the hell out of the Democrats and, and the media. And it's, it's because things are not looking good for the Democrat party heading into the next election. Just, there's no better way to put it. It's just, these things are not, it's not looking good for them. Um, they're not pulling well. Uh, nobody wants to hang out with Joe Biden a hundred percent. Um, Liberals don't even want to be seen with Joe Biden because of the dangerous effect that he has. And 
honestly, it, it gets so much worse because um, for Biden, because like this, this was just one of the random videos of him talking like this is the president of the United States. Um, I'm not sure what the hell he's talking about. I think he's talking about some trip he made to Dearborn, but this is the president of the United States. And this is part of the reason why he's polling so badly. But uh, um, I might point out you're uh, when I went to Dearborn driving that, uh, you know, uh, was up there. I don't know, man. It, it uh, I think the press thought I was crazy. I enjoyed it so much going up and, uh, your new EV factory and uh, and that uh, that Hummer, but uh... yep, President of the United States, everybody, that guy totally won an election. Now, one of the other big stories that came out this week, which I think is just a little funny, uh, but I will point it out because it's a lot of fun. I'm going to play the clip of uh, Joe Biden uh, talking with a. Uh, Peter Ducey, who you know Joe Biden hates the shit out of Peter Ducey. But this was an exchange that went a little bit viral early in the week. And so it is kind of entertaining. Or maybe not. Hang on. Everything refreshed on me. But here it is. That's a great asset. More inflation. Yeah, that's the clip that went viral. It might have been a little bit difficult here. Um, But Peter Ducey asked about inflation when it came to 2022. And he said, yeah, no, it's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. I mean, I don't really care that he said it. Um, I think it's a little silly how much people freaked out about it. But it is something that is notable, right? Uh, Because if, you know, anytime Trump said anything even slightly mean to the press, it was a giant threat to democracy. Oh, our freedom of speech. He's going to send us to camps. Yet, you know, and that's the other thing, too, is like, you know, a lot of people want to make fun of Trump and say that he was, oh, he was super thin skinned. He can't handle any criticism. Have you seen how the left reacts when anybody questions them? They lose their goddamn minds. They freak out about it. They go insane over it. It's crazy town for them. They can't handle it at all. Somebody being um, annoyed at insults is one thing. It's a completely separate situation when the left gets questioned and what do they do? They want Congress to institute laws to keep them from getting questioned. They want to call it disinformation and misinformation. They have to get social media to silence anybody that questions them. They have to get people's bank accounts taken away. Like, let's just be honest here for a second. Let's just be honest. Who's who's actually unable to handle criticism? Trump, who makes fun of people back. Or, you know, conservatives who make fun of people back? Or is it the people who literally want to send cops after you if you question them? Now, the last uh, article that I'm going to talk about, which I actually think is a little bit interesting here, um, is there has been a a little bit of a blow up. So apparently John Durham is, in fact, still alive. I know I'm surprised too. And I don't know how much stock I want to put into John Durham and anything that he investigates uh, because the attorney general uh, happens to be Biden's guy 
So, like, is anything actually going to happen here? But there was some news that came out, and it has John Durham's name on it. So I'm going to bring it up. And this was posted by Technofrog, who's a really good follow on Substack and on Twitter, uh, for those of you who would like to follow him. But let me read through um, the little bit of an article here. Today, uh, which was January 25th is when this came out. So special counsel John Durham provided a discovery update to the court in the Michael Sussman case. In this filing, he disclosed that his team has has obtained a tremendous amount of information ranging from a variety of sources, including Perkins Coy, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and former DNC Clinton lawyer Mark Elias. For those of you who don't know, we talked about this on the program even before the election about how Mark Elias was going around to different states and trying to get them to change their election laws during COVID. So he was almost a central figure in the great attempt to steal the election for um, the puppet in chief, uh, Joe Biden, who sat there in his basement eating pudding. But anyway, all right, that's my commentary, not techno frog. Uh, While Sussman has been charged with giving false statements to the FBI, general counsel, James Baker regarding the alpha bank trunk Trump organization hoax. Durham notes that the government also maintains an active ongoing criminal investigation of Sussman's conduct. In other words, Sussman's criminal conduct likely is not limited to false statements. There is more. If we are able to make an educated guess, it may have to do with the conspiracy to to accuse the Trump organization of having a secret back channel of having secret back channel communications with Alpha Bank. We discussed the potential for a conspiracy charge uh, here, which you can go to the link in his um, Substack there, which I'll post in our chat. Now the evidence. Now to the evidence. Durham and his team have secured grand jury testimony from. A former Perkins Coy partner and DNC Hillary Clinton lawyer, Mark Elias. So they got his testimony. Former FBI general counsel, James Baker, and current CIA employees. Durham and his team have completed interviews of the following individuals. Former FBI general counsel, James Baker. More than 24 other current and former FBI employees. Current and former employees of the CIA and DARPA. 12 employees of the, quote, internet companies referenced in the Sussman indictment, the former chairman of DNC Clinton law firm Perkins Coy, a former employee of the Clinton campaign, current and former employees of Georgia Tech, who were involved in the Alpha Bank hoax, an employee of Tech Executive One, in other words, Rodney Joff, a Sussman client who assisted with the Alpha Bank host. Still, there is more. Durham has obtained records and documents from the Hillary Clinton campaign, Perkins Coy, Hillary for America, Fusion GPS, a PR firm that advised Perkins Coy regarding public statements about Sussman's meeting with James Baker, phone logs for numerous current and former FBI employees, a classified memorandum, and related reports of interviews pertaining to a criminal investigation previously conducted by the U.S. Department of Justice regarding a potential leak of classified information. He also secured nearly 400 emails between the FBI and Perkins Coy from January 2016 through June 2017. There is also there is also curious para, a curious paragraph discussing the fact that Durham in January 2022 
learned from the DOJ Inspector General that they possessed two FBI cell phones of the former FBI General Counsel to whom the defendant made his alleged false statement, along with forensic reports analyzing those cell phones. Durham's team is going through those cell phones now to analyze their contents. And there will be more with Durham stating the government expects to receive additional information and documents in the coming weeks that may be relevant to the charge to the charged conduct. While we expect some grand jury testimony, the fact that Mark Elias, the DNC Clinton lawyer, was before a grand jury is certainly certainly newsworthy. It's possible that Elias's testimony was limited to Sussman's involvement in the Alpha Bank hoax. The Sussman indictment provided that Durham obtained emails between Elias and Sussman regarding the Alpha Bank allegations. But consider the possibility that Durham has used the crime fraud exception to compel disclosure of information otherwise subject to privilege and help elicit testimony under the crime fraud exception, communications are not privileged when a client when the client consults an attorney for advice that will serve him in the commission of fraud or crime. So that's kind of the idea here. Number one, that the client was engaged in or planning a criminal or fraudulent scheme when it sought the advice uh, of counsel to further the scheme. That gets rid of the attorney-client privilege. Two, that Durham demonstrated the attorney-client communications for which production is sought are sufficiently related to and were made in the furtherance of the intended or present continuing illegal act. So it's interesting because that opens up the idea of attorney-client discussions that happened with Mark Elias, James Baker, all these other things to really blow this open. Now, I don't want to crap all over Durham and his investigations. What I understand the idea that obviously, you know, you can't have this idea um, that there's this giant global cabal that was working to basically upend any sort of fair election or any of those things because the idea of like having somebody like Donald Trump get elected completely screws over the elites. And so they all conspired to try to get rid of him to include using, you know, members of the intelligence apparatus, the news media, uh, the European community, all of these other things just try to get rid of Trump because he was a huge threat to the global cabal. Um, You can't have that concept exist. But then also say that it would be easy to find it. If that makes sense. You can't have the concept that there was this giant group that all got together to try to get rid of Trump, try to jail him and make up false evidence and do all of these things, which there is a lot of proof that that did occur. You can't also say that it would be super easy to find and these people certainly wouldn't hide it well. And that's what people have to understand. You know, we all wanted immediate justice. I wanted it too. We're all very disappointed in certain things. This is, by the way, I'm not making excuses for people like the Republican Party who basically sat there watching all of this happen and do nothing. And some of them, the heroes of the Republican Party, like John McCain, even furthered it and were part of the conspiracy. So understand that. Um but that also doesn't mean that any of this is going to happen quickly. That also doesn't mean that any of this is, is going to just, you know, be solved 
easily because let's be honest, these people are good at what they do. These people know how to be fraudulent. They also know how to get judges in their pocket. They know how to slow down the process. They know how to slow walk it until it becomes, and that's the big thing. They know how to slow walk these things until they become so irrelevant that anything that happens just doesn't matter anymore. These people aren't power players anymore. You know, like, are they going to slow walk some of these? Like, actually, I'll give you an example. Um, Do you think that with like the uh, Ghislaine Maxwell stuff, you know, maybe some more stuff is going to come out. Maybe there's going to be some revelations. Perhaps. How long after Bill Clinton dies are we going to... I mean, we all know, right, that he flew out to Pedo Island. We all know that he probably partook of things at Pedo Island. That's all sort of a duh, right? Um, how long after he dies are we finally going to get the absolute smoking gun proof? And we'll get it. We'll all feel vindicated. And the majority of people won't care because they won't even remember who Bill Clinton was. And that's part of the point. You know, that's part of how a lot of this kind of stuff works. So I, w- I want you guys to understand that is, you know, slow walking a lot of these things is sort of a common practice. And so it's it's not shocking um, for stuff like this, you know, to happen. But uh, that's going to be uh, basically it. I know we're ending a little bit short of normal, uh, but to be honest, I mean, I could yammer all day to you guys. And I don't want to make you suffer for that because, well, let's just be honest. It would probably result in some sort of crime against humanity if I forced you all to keep listening to me talk. But thank you very much for joining me. Let me know any comments that you guys have. You can always go over to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio where you can support this program for $2.99 a month. Um, You can also obviously share this podcast with all of your friends. Tell them to tune in. Make sure to like it. Leave a review if you'd like. Do any of those wonderful things. And as always, we will see you guys again Sunday at noon Eastern. I'm Aaron, and I'm keeping an eye on the left.